Hi, everybody. It's Aaron Solomon, and welcome to the Next Level Podcast. I've got two. That's the first time we've had actually two guests with us on one podcast. We've got George Simons, and George, you'll correct me later if I'm saying Simons wrong, but I believe that's it, um, who is the CEO and co-founder of a legal tech startup called SoloSuit, which I'm really happy to have you on. And we also have Zach Posner, uh, who is one of the founders of the Legal Tech Fund. So gentlemen, welcome to the Next Level Podcast. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. George, did I do, was it Simons? Did I do that right? Yep, that's right. That's right. Yep. George Simons. Yep. So George, you're a graduate of BYU Law School, correct? That's right. And in my opinion, at least, BYU is kind of one of the more up and coming law schools when it comes to legal innovation. Now, how long ago did you graduate? I graduated April 2020, just last year. Oh, great. So you want to give us a little bit of insight? Because I know that we got tons of lawyers who listen to the podcast and lots of law students. In fact, just on our last episode that went live, we had Cece Shea, who's a Harvard Law grad, and she's a viral TikTok star for her legal opinions, including those about the billable hour. So we talked a little bit about legal innovation. But for a lot of people who never heard about BYU or hearing about BYU law over the last year, why is that? Uh, yeah, uh, Dean Gordon Smith at BYU Law School has been doing an awesome job. I think really pioneering the way forward for BYU Law School. Um, that's one of the reasons why I went to the school is he's particularly interested in law, entrepreneurship and, and law and technology. It's also great that I understand he just got his kind of deanship extended for another few years, which I think sets the course for the law school in a very positive way. So that's a great thing. Um, gentlemen, we've got a few points of intersection here. First of all, all of us have backgrounds in and around the law, and that's great. But Zach, your legal tech fund um, made an investment in Sam's company called SolaSuit. Is that correct? In George's company, yes. Sorry, George's company. Sorry, in George's company called SolaSuit. So George, I want you to tell us about SolaSuit. One of the reasons I reached out to both of you to do this podcast is I think SolaSuit is one of the greatest ideas. In fact, I'm going to mention the company that it kind of reminds me of because it's so, the idea itself is like so clean and so linear that it reminded me of Do Not Pay, a Josh Browder's thing. And I know Josh really, really well. Obviously, you're doing different things. But tell us about Solo Suit, which is about um, people who've been sued for debt. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Solo Suit helps people respond to debt collection lawsuits. Uh, every year in the US, 10 million people get sued for debt. 9 million of them automatically lose their case simply because they can't figure out how to respond. Solo Suit changes that. People can come and use our web app to respond and win their lawsuit in 15 minutes. Okay, so you gotta break that down a little bit for us. But before you do, I wanna ask Zach. So Zach, you were obviously as blown away as I was when you heard about SoloSuit because you invested in it. What was it about SoloSuit and the team where you said this is different from a lot of the stuff that's being built in legal tech today? So it's kind of all the stuff that George didn't mention. <laughs> I, I think that what he mentioned was the starting point and that's how the external world, um, you know, should view solo suit the way that it's kind of helping people. Um, actually, let me, can I back up that at a high level and just uh, absolutely get a little overview. So we are looking uh, to invest in companies that are transforming the world of law. You know, most people, when they hear legal tech, they think law firms. We think that, you know, the law sits in the middle of everything that we do, both personally, professionally, and it's really affects, it really touches almost every single person 
and a lot of interactions that these folks have on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, so we're currently investing out of a couple of different themes. One of the themes, just to highlight two of them, is this concept that, hey, all of your agreements um, that you have that, you know, stop thinking of all of them as PDFs and start thinking about them as a set of structured data. And we think you can do really neat things with that data. And then the second theme is this concept of reimagining access where, you know, you know, all the numbers as well as I do. I think the, uh, the average hourly rate for an attorney in this country is $346 an hour. Wow. And then the, the median wage is $19 and 14 cents. So there's a huge disconnect of how people have access to the system. And we think that there's some awesome technology. So I think that George kind of, that, that can help that. And George kind of fits in the middle of both of those themes. And we found him to be a, a kind of first and foremost, a mission oriented operator where he cares deeply about the problem. And it's a big problem that impacts a lot of folks. But what George didn't say, and George, I hope I'm not giving away too many trade secrets here, is that to do what they do, there's an extraordinary amount of friction in the process. So, you know, from the outside, exactly what he said is what they're doing. They're helping people when they get sued by a debt collector. But to do that properly, you know, there's lots of friction in figuring out how you respond when somebody gets sued by somebody, you know, and that means what court you're responding to. What is the filing fee? And there's all this friction that if you go through his process, it just kind of fades away for the end user. And I think that the mission alignment and the ability to use technology to solve some of that friction are, are really the, uh, the components that drew, drew us to George and, his, uh, and now his, uh, his co-founder, Scott. And George, you know, so everything that Zach is saying really speaks to the access to justice piece of this. Because by removing these frictive elements, you're really giving people, like you say, 90% of people, a chance um, to win and a chance to, you know, right what could be a big social wrong. Um, so is that what appealed to you when you were launching this, when you were building this? Uh, yeah, that definitely appealed to us, uh, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I had a personal experience in my first year of law school where I bought a car that turned out to be a lemon. It died on me like three days after I bought it. And I was looking for an attorney, but I couldn't find one that take my case and help me out. Um, I was a, a law student, so I was lucky enough just to resolve the issue myself. Um, but I thought, you know, if I'm in a building full of attorneys and I can't find an attorney that can help me out, who else out there can't find an attorney to help them? Um, That's a great point. Lots of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of dived into the access to justice issue and found that uh, he, 80%, an estimated 80% of all legal needs go unaddressed by attorneys currently. My personal issue with access to justice, and it has been this way in like the decade or so that I've been involved in legal tech and legal innovation, is that it generally doesn't come with any business model. It's a lot of good warm fuzzies. And then when you get to actually like, how is this thing going to work as a company? It's not there. But that's clearly not the case with solo suit. Um, so why don't both of you kind of speak to, you know, what was attractive about this as a business proposition? Because, yeah, it's going to do tons and tons of good and help that 90% of people who otherwise probably wouldn't find help. 
but this is a big market, right? Yeah. So I'll, maybe George, I'll, I'll jump in and uh, feel free to uh, add lots more insight afterwards. You know, for us, something that we thought that was very interesting was the way that George was acquiring customers. And this was, um, you know, he was not finding people by paying for these folks. He was finding people because he was putting up useful content on both the internet, you know, in, in text form via different articles. And then at the same time, using video on YouTube. And, you know, when we met George, it was really, I mean, it really still is. It's all organic traffic. And what we know this is, as Aaron, I'm sure you're aware, it's a really crowded space, anything legal oriented. Sure. When you're on the internet. And what we found is that George had a way of telling a simple story to the end user that has a problem. And because of that, they were finding the site and they were signing up for the service. And then the output of that, you know, led to, you know, we were looking at over a hundred five-star ratings on Google from his end users, you know, and, and what happens is when you're able to put out really high quality content, that's helping users <laughs> and you're creating simple. And by the way, George, I mean, they have a free product, you know, most of the value here can be ascertained by anybody for free on the site. And when you solve people's needs and they have an amazing experience, kind of like good things happen. And you know, the stuff he's doing, you're playing in massive markets. So, but anyway, George, please. Yeah. Um, currently, I, like I think attorneys have seen this problem traditionally as a pro bono problem, right? Like. Uh, if somebody's being sued for, I think the way a traditional lawyer would think about this, and, and also the way we thought about it initially in law school when we were developing the product, is that if somebody's being sued for a debt, they don't have an attorney because they don't have any money. And attorneys cost money. And since they don't have an attorney, they don't respond to the lawsuit and therefore they lose. Um, I, I've since realized that that is a, a, a misconception um, attorneys, uh, an average litigation attorney costs $3,000. Um, it doesn't make sense to hire, it doesn't make sense for pretty much anybody to hire an attorney for $3,000 when they're only being sued for $1,000. Yep. Um, and there's a big, there's lots of wiggle room between $0, like pro bono work, and a litigation attorney at $3,000. Um, solo suits operating in that space. I've most recently been thinking about it like this, um, debt collectors are able to make $11 billion annually off of consumers who are actively trying not to pay them money. Uh, and so why, why, can't, why, why can't another business come in and uh, make money by helping these people respond to these lawsuits? I love that. That is such a great way to describe it, right? That is so good. And when you think about what you're doing, I mean, so much of it is capable or so many parts of it are capable of automation. And again, that's something that I think has been, has been lacking in the A to J space, um, has been something that can automate and something that can scale. And again, going back to the comparable that I gave, do not pay, that's how at least how they built the foundation of that business is so much of what they were doing was capable of scaling through a degree of automation. So where do you see this going? Like, how do you see building the next, without giving, as Zach said, without giving us any trade secrets, 
But I mean, I see that this can get really, really, really big, even much bigger than it is now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we we want to solve the problem, right? We're we're customer focused. Uh, there's lots of people experiencing a lot of pain in the space. We think that we are helping the individuals with the largest amount of pain in the entire legal industry, people that are sued and don't have an attorney. Um, so we want to help help all of them um, that are in court. We, that, that's like where we're going and we just wanna help all of those people. Have you thought about international applications for this as well? Because I mean, I could tell you, like I just came back from four years in Berlin and I was threatened to have been sued a couple of times for things that in North America, you know, you would never even think that there'd be a legal aspect to it. But the way it works in a lot of places in Europe is it's just like automatic, automatic stuff, you know, like a language course that you decided not to take the next version of. You're evidently obliged to do so. Um, have you thought about any international expansion with SoloSuit? Uh, yeah, certainly. I think the problem is is big and pressing in the United States, so we want to focus here first. Um, but I know other companies have had good experiences in expanding to other common law countries like like the UK, Australia, Canada. Uh, so I think there's certainly potential there. So Zach, tell me a little bit more. Okay, so you know you guys liked Solo Suit. It made a lot of sense, and it hit a lot of your investment thesis. So imagine you were walking down the corridors of a place like BYU Law, Michigan State Law, any of these like really innovative law schools, and you were having a meeting with students and the students were there thinking, you know, I might like to build something over the next couple of years. What kind of guidance would you give them? That is a, uh, so I would, um, I'm, I'm taking a step back because that's a great question. The the first thing I would steer them towards is try to think about problems that they've personally spent a lot of time interacting with or pain points that are, are driving that, like that they have a personal attachment to the problem that they want to solve it. Because the more experience that they have with the problem, the deeper that they can go, the, the more that you're automatically validating the product the problem. And then I think I would encourage them to get out there and talk to as many end customers as possible in the shortest amount of time. And I think that when you're in those conversations, a lot of people, people generally are nice. So when you tell them about their, your idea, they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that's one way to respond, but don't necessarily take that as validation. You know, if this is an enterprise-oriented application you're thinking about, you know, you want to show people four or five concepts and they'll nod their head four at a time and say, that's a good idea. And then the fifth one, they'll say, wait a second, what'd you say? Can you come back in on Monday? Because I want to bring, uh, you know, Mike and Jennifer to this meeting because they've been thinking about this for a long time. Totally. And you want to look for those types of problems because I think that if you have a dedicated entrepreneur in general, there's just so much opportunity to use technology to improve outcomes in some capacity that, you know, as long as you're willing to stick with it, like you'll get somewhere with it. But those are businesses that we call like, you're almost like brute forcing it. 
you know, where you want to be is a situation where the wind is at your back a little bit because you're solving a painful one for people that, that really is pain, painful and they want to move forward with you. So like with George, for example, uh, you know, you, you talked about his growth and all of this, you know, the thing that impressed us is, or, or, or kind of an interesting data point for us is they were not focused on month on monthly growth. They're like heavily focused on analyzing weekly growth because things are happening so quickly at the company. You know, and, and I think that that's what happens when you hit on a pain point for people. That's what happens when you look at the reviews of Solo Suit online and how they're just solving people's pain. Now, but I think that sure. I think that comes down to not a generic, you know, really understanding the, the pain point you're trying to solve and then validating that it is a pain point. So George, what do you think about that? I mean, it's, it's a great thesis and I wanna get a little bit more into the thesis of the Legal Tech Fund in a second, but you're in a space that is just about to boom. And I mean, that's bad news for people, good news for companies like yours that are out there to help people because we're just a year into the virus and the amount of people that you know, are trying to get debts collected against them is, is getting to be exponential and certainly will be over the next few months. Does, does that scare you or excite you when you think about the potential for such rapid growth on a weekly basis? Yeah, uh, well, first I wanna say I agree with what uh, Zach said about his advice to law students and that was great advice. Um, second, uh, I kind of, you, Usually when I'm talking about the company to like family and friends, I usually jokingly say, you know, like SolarSuit helps people respond to debt collection lawsuits. So hopefully you'll never become a customer. Right? And I think that's kind of the, uh, a little bit of a bittersweet spot with the company um, is that I would personally prefer if people weren't sued for predatory debt lawsuits. Uh, <laughs> sure. Right. But the fact that they are being sued, um, yeah, our business will be there to help them, right? And that's why we are um, actively growing and expanding is because we want, we, we believe everybody should have uh, a good shot. Everybody has a right to have their voice heard in court. Uh, and we want to give everybody that right. And we believe that powerful advocacy on both sides is what leads to the most equitable outcomes. Uh, so that's what we are providing to consumers. And that fits perfectly, Zach, with what you put as part of the thesis in the Legal Tech Fund. I'm gonna quote from your site, because I really like this paragraph. We believe that legal technology is at an inflection point. The next generation of technology companies will alter the way legal services are delivered for organizations and individuals. As such, we're always on the lookout for passionate founders with companies doing unexpected things and growing at an interesting rate. So there's kind of a lot to unpack within there. And of course, you know, Solo Suit and George, you know, do meet that investment thesis. But, you know, how do you see kind of the evolution of that statement that I just read as well? So I think, um, you know, let me, let me give you our coverage area because I think this is kind of important. This is an interesting way to think about the world where, you know, I say legal tech to most people. And the first thing that they think about is, you know, enterprise applications for law firms, right? So let's put that at the top of the pyramid. The next thing they think about is software that helps a law firm within their practice areas, you know, d deliver uh, their services. 
Then you keep going and there's the general counsel world and the legal operations world. Then there's the software that touches the business units. And then there's the software that touches the end user. Does that make sense? And as you go down, the it pyramid does. gets wider. So there's more and more people. The applications that we get the most excited about are the ones that are further down on that pyramid. And we, we think about that for two reasons. One, the markets are much bigger. And we think that if you, and, and that's one. And then two, if you end up changing the world through business applications or the way people's habits are through business applications or personal applications that incorporate some legal aspect to it in some capacity. And again, that can just be as simple as structuring data from a document. What you start doing is you start to change the roles and the responsibilities of everybody up the pyramid. You know, so a great example, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a company called Carta uh, that helps people manage their capitalization structure and their cap tables. Yeah. So historically, that was something that used to be, you know, cap tables were essentially buried within deal documents, you know, the thick PDFs or the thick uh, deal binders. They unlocked that data, put it into a structured database, and then they gave everybody access. You know, if you own shares in this company, you get a login. So because they did all of this, they essentially changed the work that attorneys do because cap tables are something that historically were managed by attorneys. And now an attorney has a role in the CARTA ecosystem, but it basically changes everything up that pyramid and, and kind of serves a large market. And it's, and it's really a business application that includes some legal data structuring in it that just changed the way attorneys work. And I think that a lot of this stuff, you know, people think that it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's coming for people's jobs. And I don't think it is at all. You know, I think like e even Sola suit, for example, there is a white space here. Like George told, he could not find a lawyer to help him with his lemon problem. You know, the, it is very difficult for a lawyer to get excited about a $500 case <laughs> because obviously their fees can only be a subset of that. Same uh, thing for the cap yeah. table work. I don't think, or, or actually I'm pretty confident because the biggest advocates of some of these companies at an earlier stage are actually attorneys saying, use this tool. It, like, it helps us keep your bill down. <laughs> so that's kind of the intersection that we look for is what is the software that's built into people's day-to-day -day, you know, world that really has outcomes and affects, the, you know, affects legal tech, but it may be masked in, in some other vertical. So we, you know, we find ourselves covering you know, software that's, that's poking around in the, uh, in the commercial real estate lease space you know, to help you create a lease more effectively and efficiently that's in property tech. But, you know, if you get that right, you're kind of changing everybody's roles and responsibilities along the way. So I don't know if that makes sense, but uh... it, it makes great sense. In fact, that I think ties back to what we started to talk about right at the beginning of the podcast with places like BYU. I think that law students and I'm, George, I'm very curious about what you think about this. Law students who, you know, kind of self-identify as entrepreneurial, their conception of the things that they might have built five or six years ago is different than it is today. And 
I believe is going to be dramatically different than it'll be over the next five or six years. Because Zach, as you just said, legal technology and legal innovation is touching spaces that we would not have thought of being touched by legal. So George, if you were going to go back to BYU, which I know you do, and you were going to go give a lecture, give a talk to a group of students about entrepreneurship, what advice would you give them about building something that's going to be relevant half a decade from now? Uh, you know, that's a, a great question. I think at BYU, first thing I'd say to the students is take advantage of the free food available. <laughs> the law school does have a lot of great free food going around. Um, and then after that, um, I think I would, I would say, I think I'd probably reiter reiterate uh, some of Zach's points. I think beyond that, I would probably just add in, um, do, do something, just try to find something that is monetizable quickly. That's probably what I would go for. Um, I, I think that the startup space and like the internet space has changed even like the last five years to make it more easy to collect money from people who want to pay for something. Uh, and it provides, I think in some ways, like better testing than um, like some of the more like traditional ideas, like running like a focus group or something. I think there's definitely, uh, definitely a lot of room for having like one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with people to understand uh, problems. But I think really next step is to just put something online and make it easy for somebody to pay you to do something and see if they, pay for it because that is like the best uh most legitimate feedback you can get on a product it's it's a lot better than having your mom say oh what a nice thing you've created or like your friend say yeah i'd probably use that for sure uh if somebody if you launch something online and somebody actually pays you um that's the closest way fastest way you can find out if you're making something yeah. that's valid the, the best way to judge it, intent is uh, when somebody puts a credit card in to purchase your service or uh, signs a contract or an enterprise deal. I agree with that. Exactly. So I'm going to promise both of you that, you know, I'm going to play certainly the last few minutes of this podcast to my undergraduate business students that I teach and to my MBA students, because you are so right on. It doesn't have to be huge to start. But if you can prove your thesis that you've got a good business and people are willing to pay for what you're doing, your service and your technology, that's a great start. Gentlemen, it's already been a half hour. Zach, I want to thank you very much. It's great reconnecting with you. George, it's awesome meeting you. And I know that Solo Suit is going to have a lot of success and we're going to be hearing a lot about you in the future. Thanks both of you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, guys. Take care. Thank you.